has an infinite power to it. And when you jump into it for the 20th, 30th, 40th time, there are brand new things to see that seem actually central. It's not that you learn some new insight into the grammar or that there's some silly piece of trivia that connects it to Zachariah or something like that. But you, you, you dig deeper and deeper into the core of it and... Uh, so it's really just a pleasure to, to preach. So once again, thank you for this pleasure and this honor. But here we go. We're going to look at the passage that begins halfway through verse 18. If you look in your Bibles there in Philippians chapter 1, you'll notice that in most of your translations, verse 18 is split in half. Um, the verses were put in much later, of course, hundreds of years after they were written, and most uh, Bible translators would agree that that verse was, was done incorrectly. And so we're actually going to start halfway through verse 18. And if you'll notice, it probably ends at a paragraph there after verse 26. So that's our discourse this morning. That's the passage or the paragraph we're looking at is verse 18 through 26. And I'm going to break it into three parts. The second part is that awesome classic phrase, to live as Christ, to die as gain. So that's the middle of it. That's the center of it. That's the emphasis of it. Everything that comes after that phrase, those following verses, is explaining what Paul means with that classic phrase. Probably a top 20 sentence in the Bible, and he's explaining himself in the verses that follow it. We're going to start here, though, with verse 18 and see how he ramps up to it. So verse 18, halfway through, uh, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. So there's a connection there to the previous passage. I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. So he starts with joy. It connects us to the previous uh, passages, which Mike preached last week. Joy is an important idea in Philippians. You probably know that if you've read Philippians before. Uh, there are so many different themes in the New Testament, and different letters have different emphases. And this particular uh, epistle is emphasizing joy. So if you've got a joy problem, if you're kind of in the dumps and that kind of thing, then Philippians uh, will help you, uh, and all of it, but especially chapter 4. So really, we're all just kind of getting ready for chapter 4 of Philippians, which is one of the best chapters in the entire Bible. But we've got some theological work to do before he can just boom, boom, boom on chapter 4. We've got to build up to it first. So joy is an important idea in Philippians, and what's interesting is where Paul's joy comes from. That's what's instructive here. Where does Paul's joy come from? Joy itself is just a deep happiness. In fact, the synonym is happy, and sometimes we make a distinction between being happy or being joyful in the church, but the Greek doesn't make that kind of a distinction. Paul didn't make that kind of a distinction. Uh, joy is just a deep happiness. It's an in-your-bones kind of happy. And Paul's joy comes from Jesus Christ being glorified, Jesus Christ being preached. That's where his joy comes from. And he doesn't care who does it, and he doesn't care how it happens, which is why he's able to be joyful, because there were a lot of annoying preachers during that time. There were a lot of annoying people in the church, and as we look around, we see that that may be true today as well. And so there were a lot of difficult things that were happening in Paul's life. A lot of, I mean, he's sitting there in prison, right? And there were a lot of difficult things happening in the church. And yet Paul was able to be joyful. He's joyful because, hey, church is growing. 
right? God's building his church. Jesus is building his church. Jesus is being preached. And so I'm joyful. There's a lot of annoying things going on here. Sure, he's not pretending like everything's fine. It's not. But the most important thing is good. For example, if you look back there in the previous two passages, the first uh, example of something annoying or frustrating that was happening in Paul's life was that he was in prison. But he's saying there in verse 12 that it has served to advance the gospel. I mean, it seems like a bad thing that he's in prison. If I were to go to prison or if Pastor Mike were to go to prison for preaching the Bible, which may happen someday, I expect that kind of thing will probably happen in my lifetime. So if one of us goes to prison or both of us go to prison or something like that, that'd probably be more fun. Both of us went at the same time, sing songs together and be cool. But if that were to happen, your first response is like, oh, no, you know, it's a bad thing, except God's on his throne, right? So don't worry about that. It's going to happen. So pull this little sermon out of the archive and remember that I said this, that when that happens, yeah, okay, it may not be great that, that we're in prison and yet God's on his throne, And presumably we're singing and preaching and talking there or here and someone else will rise up here to preach and that kind of a thing. God's on his throne. God's getting done what he wants to get done. And that puts things into perspective that makes it possible to even have joy while you're sitting there in chains. The next example he uses is personal rivalry. Preachers who were criticizing or dismissing Paul because he was in prison. There was some misunderstanding. Probably people were thinking, well, if he actually has supernatural power, he wouldn't be in prison. You know, he can't be that big of a deal but because he's in prison and I'm not in prison. So I must be the one that God has risen up here. Uh, but that person's preaching the gospel. So Paul is probably saying that guy's annoying, but he's preaching the gospel. So praise the Lord for that. So Paul can handle all kinds of frustration with joy. And the reason for his joy is that Christ is being preached. You see that there uh, in the middle of verse 18, Christ is preached. And for this, I rejoice, even though the guy preaching it is kind of a jerk and he's slandering me and he's criticizing me and so on. Hey, whatever, I can take it. Jesus is being preached. Our passage this morning cranks up that whole idea, ratchets it up to a whole new level. It's not just about being in prison or having people slander you. But Paul says, look, even if I die, if God gets glory, then I'm good. Even if I die, whether by life or by death, he says there in verse 20. And that's a very freeing way to live. That is a very freeing approach to life. If my desire is set on God getting glory, then I can handle all kinds of threats to my ego or to my close relationship network or to my money or whatever it may be. I can handle all kinds of bumps and I can handle all kinds of threats to all of that stuff because the main thing is getting done. God is being glorified. Jesus Christ is being preached. And that's where my heart is set. So I'm able to be joyful. And this idea of joy connects us to those previous paragraphs. And now he's explaining, okay, Let me tell you more about where my joy comes from. And he says there in verse 18, yes, and I will continue to rejoice for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. So there's a couple of things there. He's rejoicing because he knows that their prayers and consequently the provision of the Holy Spirit, that what has happened to me imprisonment will turn out for his deliverance which is very different from what people were accusing him of. Paul's in prison. He's being accused of uh, being in prison. People are doubting his authority as an apostle. 
people are saying, well, God's blessing must not be on Paul because look what happened to him. What kind of power does this so-called apostle have if he's sitting there in prison? But Paul isn't worried about that. Jesus told his disciples, you guys are going to be persecuted because I was persecuted. But I will build my church. And these are two things that are just God promised to do that. Jesus said, hey, bad things are going to happen to you. You're going to be thrown into prison. All kinds of bad things are going to happen. You're going to be persecuted. Some of you are going to be killed. But I'm going to build my church. And Paul knows this. And so he's thinking, all right, okay. As soon as the second coming happens, then I'm going to be vindicated. And he knows that that vindication is going to happen publicly. So that all of these people that have been accusing him of not being that big of a deal. And oh, look at this, Paul. Who is this guy, Paul? Uh, all of those people are going to know, as Jesus Christ said, hey, actually, okay, wrote most of the New Testament and was the apostle and you were slandering him. And that's going to happen publicly. So lots of frustrating things that are happening in his life. Uh, but he's full of joy because the gospel is being preached and because in the end he knows that God will publicly vindicate him. He will, he says, in no way be ashamed He's not going to be ashamed. Yeah, it looks bad. I'm in prison. People think that I'm not that big of a deal anymore. But he says he expects to be delivered. And it may not happen tomorrow or even before he dies. But as soon as Jesus comes back, there's going to be a big old family, church family meeting. And the truth is going to be known. As a new pastor, a long time ago, I was falsely accused by a couple of people in the church. And uh, the only way to defend myself was to tell the congregation that this uh, particular guy was intractable. Uh, But I couldn't do that because that would be to slander him. And so I was a little bit stuck. It was very frustrating to have somebody going around the church saying things about me that weren't true. And eventually a bunch of people left the church. Um, So it was pretty frustrating. And so I went to our district superintendent. So I was like 31 or something, you know. And I go to our district superintendent, and I'm all tied up in knots and just so frustrated. And I asked him what to do, and he gave me incredible advice. And he basically said, pastors take spears for the church. That's what you do. Pastors take spears for the church. And eventually, everybody's going to find out that you were right. (laughs) But nobody's going to care by then, (laughs) because it's going to happen in heaven. (laughs) So, and that's a quote. That's exactly what he said. Uh, so when you approach things like that, you're playing a long game. That is a long game. You're trying to create a culture where people are treated with dignity even though they may not have earned it, and you're keeping your eye on the second coming. You got the long game going on, but that means that there are days or weeks or months or years where you lose a lot of leadership equity because of what is being said publicly. Now, how do you keep that kind of thing up? This happens to you as a, as a leader, a, a, a parent. Uh, all kinds of different things happen to you, and you want to fight back, but you remember what Christ said, like a, like a lamb led to slaughter, he did not open his mouth. So there are a lot of situations where you just got to take it. You take the spears in order to uh, keep things uh, peaceful. How do you keep that up? How do you keep that up with joy? That's the trick. Not just to like duck and and bear it, but to be like, hey, no problem. How do you do that? Verse 19, through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit. That's how you keep it up. 
through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit. Prayer is massively important to Paul. He thinks prayer is what keeps the ministry fruitful, and he thinks prayer is what keeps him faithful. Other people praying for him. And Paul often asks for prayer. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, he says to them, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. That's prayer. Making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. In his epistle to the Colossians, chapter 4, he says, Pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. In Second Thessalonians, he tells the church there at Thessalonica, Brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. Now this is serious. That is serious business to pray Uh, for ministers and to pray for missionaries and so on. You know, when politicians say things like um, our prayers are with the family of the victims, um, it's hard to know exactly what they mean by that. Are they really praying for the victims' families? Uh, Do they think that that prayer, if and when they pray it, do they think that that prayer has any real impact in the natural world or is it just a nice sentiment? Is that just what an American politician says? For Paul, he was able to do ministry because people were praying for him. And those prayers activated the Holy Spirit in ways that would not have happened without those prayers. And so he sees it as partnership in ministry. He's like, yeah, I can handle prison. No problem. People slandering me. Oh, I just got another letter. That dude's slandering me too. No problem. Philippians are praying for me. I'm going to make it through this. And God's building his church. We're going to be all right. And the result of all of this prayer and the result of all of the spirit active inside Paul is he says there, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Doesn't matter what happens to me. I could be in prison. I could be killed. If Christ is exalted, that's what I'm after. And if he wants to do that by killing me, hey, no matter what, God has a plan to build his church. God gives me power to proclaim his son. God will vindicate me publicly after all these humiliations are over. And all of that is possible because of you, Philippians, who are praying for me. And the Holy Spirit gets involved and we're good. So Paul has joy. He has confidence. He has contentment. He has peace. Bring it on, whatever it is. I have Christian friends who love me and I have an awesome God. It's interesting in this passage that Paul actually quotes Job. He says, the, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance, which is a quote from John, uh, Job 13. There's a bunch of things that, that Job says there. Job was also misunderstood by people that were very close to him. And he was falsely accused. If you remember, people were uh, assuming that since all of these bad things had happened to Job, he must be cursed by God or he must have sinned in some way or made some kind of a mistake spiritually. And so now God is punishing him and allowing all these bad things to happen because certainly God would not let all these bad things to happen to a godly man. So their theology was wrong. And Job's theology was wrong too, but he knew that they were wrong. And it isn't until the end of the book that some of the theology gets unraveled. And so he's feeling very unfairly attacked and he knows 
These guys are wrong. They're saying that I must have done all these bad things. But, he, but I know, you know, I, I haven't. I haven't. I'm innocent. And so he's saying, I know that I shall be in the right. He keeps saying, like, bring me before a court somewhere. Bring me before a, a heavenly court. And let's hear the evidence because I know that I don't deserve what is happening to me here. And so here Paul quotes Job in the same context. Here is a man, Paul, who is sitting there in prison, falsely accused, surrounded by all kinds of trouble. And he knows deep in his bones that he is going to be vindicated. And there are many unfair things that we have to suffer in this life. So much. But God makes it possible for us to suffer with joy. You don't have to be defensive. You don't have to be successful. You don't have to be perfect. You just have to have hope in the right things. (laughs) To desire the right things. Which is why Paul can say in this classic phrase here, this classic sentence, verse 21, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. To live is Christ, to die is gain. So what does he mean by that? He means if he stays alive, then he gets more opportunities to be like Jesus. If he dies, he gets an opportunity to be with Jesus. Either way, we can switch the prepositions around. Either way, I win. (laughs) And then he explains himself. Verse 22, he says, If I'm to go on living in the body... This will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Now, Paul doesn't actually have this choice. He's not contemplating suicide or something like this. He's just saying, I don't know really which one I want. Like if I had a choice here, I'm not sure which one I would pick. To die would be better because then I get to be with Jesus. Uh, To live, that's good too because then I get to be like Jesus and bring glory and honor to Jesus. So... It's kind of like he's thinking out loud. And at the end of it, he knows he should stay. And why is that? Verse 22, fruitful labor. Verse 24, it is necessary for you that I remain. Verse 25, he wants to continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. That's ministry. He decides, he decides, okay, the better thing here, I mean, okay, it's better to go be with Jesus, but it's preferable that I stay for your good. And that's ministry. It's actually a very interesting summary of ministry. You could apply this to parents, elders, anybody in spiritual leadership, ministry leaders, that the point of it is for your progress and joy in the faith. For your progress and joy in the faith. With progress, what does he mean by that? He, he means that he wants to see people grow in their spiritual maturity, knowing God more, loving God and other people more. He wants to see them make progress and to grow in their maturity. And joy, joy in the faith. And remember, this is how the paragraph starts. I will rejoice even though I'm in prison and I've got all these people slandering me. I will rejoice. 
And later in the book, chapter 4, he tells us about the secret of being content in all circumstances. He wants to help people understand that secret because it's key to Christianity. He wants them to grow in their joy in the faith. His purpose as a preacher is not to give people 10 points for balancing your checkbook or saving for retirement or so on so that you can be more joyful. I mean, there are proverbial wisdom uh, sections of the Bible that will help you with that, but that's not his thing. What he's interested in is giving people real theological basis and foundation for their joy. Not that everything's going to work out in your life, but assuming that a lot of things don't work out in life, how do you find joy anyway? That's progress in the faith. That's what faith is. And, he, and he's saying, I think I'll stick around, actually. If I had the choice, I think I'll stick around because I want to explain that a little more to you. I want you to learn the secret of being content in all circumstances, not just burying it and just kind of like, oh, hopefully it'll be over soon, but actually having joy even in the midst of trouble. And he calls this fruitful labor, fruitful labor. He knows that if he stays alive, he's going to have serious hard work to do. In ministry, taking care of people, helping them to grow up. That's hard work. Being around immature people uh, is bruising. Uh, you may be getting older and you may be thinking, you know, why am I still here? It would just be so much better to just go to heaven. Why am I still here? And you're right. It is far better, uh, says Paul in verse 23. That is far better. So that's not an inappropriate desire. But if you are still here, then God wants you here. And there is much that you can do to help people in their progress and joy in the faith. Your prayer makes a huge difference in the real world, in the lives and ministries of people who are trying to follow God. And you may have opportunities for lots of conversations in order to encourage and instruct people in such a way that impacts generations. Maybe you're not elderly. Maybe you're in some kind of chronic pain, uh, maybe a relationship pain or body pain or whatever it may be. And you may hate life and you may even wish that you were dead because your circumstances are so bad. Let this little paragraph of the Bible clean your mind so that you can learn to suffer slander and misfortune with joy. Knowing that God is going to sort everything out publicly in the end, and all he asks of you is faithfulness. Knowing him, loving him, loving other people. Focus on that stuff, even when the wheels are coming off, even when you're in the tall grass. Focus on that stuff and you will find joy. Because those things are sure. If your joy is set on this and such relationship working out or the, the having enough money to be able to pay the bills or whatever it may be, the, the sickness finally going away, or oh, however, if, if that's where your joy is set, your joy is going to come and go because the money comes and go, relationships come and go, all kinds of those things come and go. But what doesn't come and go is God, and his promises are sure. So if we set our hearts there, we won't be disappointed. We put our joy uh, on, a, on a rock. We make our lives much more complicated than they need to be by setting our hearts on things that are not sure. We forget also about mission, that the most important thing on earth is that Jesus Christ is preached to those who are lost. 
that the most important thing is that believers are growing and making progress in their faith and in their joy. We forget about the promises of God that put all earthly loss into perspective. Paul says things like Romans 8, 18. I consider, this is an amazing sentence here. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. (laughs) Oh, that I could be that mature, that I could say that. May God help us, you and me, to pray for each other and say this kind of a thing together in Isaiah 25. Oh Lord, you are my God and I will exalt you. I will praise your name for you have done wonderful things. Plans formed of old, faithful and sure. Let's close in prayer. God in heaven, I thank you for helping us to understand where true joy comes from. And we all have to admit that we pursue joy in a whole bunch of places that are sure to disappoint. And then we wonder, well, why isn't this working? And then we make all kinds of foolish decisions and compound our troubles. God, I pray that you would help us. By the power of your Holy Spirit, fill us and clean our minds and help us to think with Bible so that we would bring glory and honor to you in everything we do. Whether by life or by death, hey, if you are glorified, we're good. We're good. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can actually stay in your seats if you want to. At least for a little while. I guess you could stay in your seats if you wanted to stay there. You could stay there. I couldn't do anything about it. But we're going to um, we're going to sing a song we've done once before, and uh, it just really seemed on topic, at least in certain ways. So um, let us have the mind of Paul in just being totally willing to serve Christ uh, through all circumstances, knowing that we would love to be with Him on the other side. Um, but that as long as he has work for us to do, that we would remain faithful, whatever that means. 